به شما حکمی تازه میدهم که یکدیگر را محبت نمایید چنان که من شما را محبت نمیدم شما نیست یکدیگر را محبت نمایید و به این طریق همه خواهند فهمید که شاگرد من هستید اگر محبت یکدیگر را داشته باشید ایمان Good morning. I just want to thank Sarah and Sharon and Shaheen for serving us this morning and leading us in song and the reading of scripture. I've always loved hearing Shaheen read in Persian. Thank you so much. Um, I'm Jason. For those of you who don't know, I'm the pastor of New Hope Church. Uh, we This is actually the beginning of our weekly services. Right? We haven't... <laughs> yeah, praise God. This wasn't even in our mind, uh, like, since, what, March 1st? Like, thinking about meeting March 1st of 2020, when we thought about meeting weekly. So we're finally doing it. Um, I love seeing how many people are here today, and I want you to know we're hoping to get a place that will allow us all to be together and not, like, in the uttermost parts of the, of the room. Um, and so that's something that you could be praying for. Uh, we're so glad that we could be here together and experience God together, as Sarah said so well before, as a community. So we're going to start with a question this morning. What would you do if you had 24 hours left to live? Sorry if that's a little morbid for that <laughs> Sunday morning, but 24 hours left to live. Think about what you would do. Our answers may include, well, I will go and... Go spend that time with my loved ones, my family, my friends, uh, people in the city. Um, or you might look over your bucket list, all right, think of the things you've always wanted to do and say, you know, I'm going to try and do as much as I can, as realistically as possible in the, 20, the next 24 hours. Or you might book a ticket and then head to the beach and then say, you know what, I'm going to go out in front of the ocean. That's the way I'm going to go out. Well, there's nothing necessarily wrong with any of those answers, but in today's passage, the one that Shaheen read for us today, the context is that Jesus, knowing that his time on earth was coming to an end, knowing that he was from the Father and going back to the Father, decided to get up, take a towel, wrap it around his waist, and wash the feet of his disciples. And this humble service, knowing that his time was going to come to an end, that he would devote that time to serving his disciples, it would frame his final instructions for them, what we heard today. And it actually also shapes our actions as a community as well. As you might have heard me say a few weeks ago, I quoted Eugene Park, who said that we don't really find community, we build community. Most of us, when we think about joining a community or being a part of community, we think about finding a community that we can just plug into. But the reality is, community takes work. If you have a family, which I'm sure most of us do in some way, shape, or form, you know it's messy, right? You know, it takes work. There's dysfunction. There's brokenness. It takes work and effort to build community. And today, just as Jesus' words would have done so for them, for us as well, his words shape how we build this community, this church in its infancy. So that's our question today. How can we build, how can we actually build a loving community? Based on Jesus' words and example, we see three things, all right? I'm going to go ahead and tell it to you right now, and then we're going to go over it. We start with this love. We move through the discomfort, and we invite others in. 
All right, I'm going to say that again. We start with his love, we move through the discomfort, and then we invite others in. Let me pick up from verse 34. This should be on the this is on the back of the page that you got at your table. Jesus says to them, "A new command I give to you: love one another." As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So he's just finished washing their feet. And washing the feet, people's feet in those days, it was reserved for people of lower classes, people who are socioeconomically lower, people who were in debt, or even the slaves of the day. And here you have Jesus, who is their Lord and their rabbi, in the waning hours of his life, kneeling down to wash their feet. Now, if you're from an Eastern culture, you know how, like, how much you would recoil at the thought of someone who's older than you or someone who's more esteemed in society than you, someone that you revere doing something like this. But this is what Jesus does for them. And he tells them and uses this as a way of framing his instructions As I have loved you in this way, in this kind of humility, serving you in this way, so you must love one another. He expects his love for them to be their guide on how they ought to interact with each other. So I think many of us know that we ought to love one another or that we ought to love like Jesus, but we underestimate that it's his love, our personal experience of his love that's supposed to lead us. So think about where you normally start. I said the first thing is that we start with Jesus. Think about where you start when you try to love other people. You might start with them. You might start with the actual person in front of you. You may say, well, they're so kind and compassionate. They're funny. They're really friendly to me. They're generous. They're sincere. And so therefore, all of your reasons for loving them are in them. But you get to know the person. And what happens when, if you start there, after some time, they disappoint you? Or they're no longer funny, or as generous, or as sincere, or not as kind anymore, not as compassionate as they used to be. What will be your reasons to love that person then? Some of you may not start with that person, but you might start with yourself. Well, you say, well, regardless of what they're like, I'm supposed to be a loving person. I know that God calls me to be a loving person. Well, if you start there... If you start with yourself, it assumes something about your own strength. That you're going to be able to withstand whatever their mood is going to be like or whatever season of life they go through, right? Like It's claiming to have the inner resources that are necessary to be able to love them the way that God is calling you to. And anyone who does that, it leads to burnout. Because what if they don't reciprocate? After a while, that's going to get old. What if they change and they don't seem lovable anymore? Are you really able to withstand the changes that you, that other person, and the seasons of life may bring? But here's what Jesus is saying. He says, love one another, and this is what frames it. This is the fuel, the source for it, as I have loved you. That assumes that the way we love others is our personal experience and understanding of how Jesus is loved and served us. We start with Jesus. I think we've all experienced the practical wisdom of this before, right? It's why we pay it forward. Um, I, 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 several months ago, I don't think anyone remembers what I say, but several months ago I shared a, a New York Times article with you. It was a study on the science of paying it forward. 
they cited what happened in a Canadian company, Tim Hortons, in 2012. At a drive-thru, the customer paid for her order and then picked up the order for someone directly behind her as well. And then that customer who was behind her picked up the order of the next person as well. And this went on for three hours and 226 people in a succession of un like an unbroken 226 people paid for the other person's uh, beverage or whatever their order was. And you might say this, they're Canadians, they're not New Yorkers, of course they're going to do that. But scientists actually wanted to look at, explore what is it that creates this cascade of generosity. And they wanted to see, is it witnessing kindness or being a recipient of kindness? This was their conclusion, according to the New York Times. We conclude that observing an act of kindness is likely to play an important role in setting a cascade of generosity in motion. But we found that it was receiving help that sustained the cascade as it spread through the group. So observing kindness is important, but being a recipient of kindness, personally experiencing it, is what ends up creating a cascade of generosity in the community. And therefore, to build a loving community, it sounds like Jesus, knowing this, would say, love one another. Before he gives the instruction, he loved them. He acted in generosity. He acted in humility. It preceded any kind of command. That's what, that's the case in all of scripture as well. You may have heard people say this before. Before God gave the people of Israel any kind of command, before he gave the Ten Commandments or how they were to live as a people, he rescued them first. Salvation, God's rescue, his kindness, his mercy, his grace precedes any command that he gives. We build this community as recipients of Jesus' love. We love others not out of the inner resources that we have, but out of the abundant and overflowing grace and mercy of God through us in Jesus Christ. So maybe you've heard this call before. All right, we're a church plant. We've got to love one another. We've got to build this community. But you may have found it difficult. You don't have the time. You don't have the energy. But what if you started with Jesus' love for you? What if you slow down to remember how he has served you and how he has loved you? Maybe there are people who are difficult to love in your life. What if you actually took the time before you tried to do it in your own strength, actually paused and reflected and meditated upon how much God loves you? We build community by letting his love lead us. That's the starting point. It's not our guilt, not the shame, not what this is what makes you a good Christian or this is what makes us distinct. It's Jesus. We start with his love. The next thing. So we start with his love and then we go through the discomfort. So let me go ahead and just give a little disclaimer here. Love requires different responses. And it often makes us feel uncomfortable. Sometimes knowing how to best love someone isn't easy. It takes discernment and it takes a community of people. There are people in your life right now where the most loving thing for them is for you to confront them and for you to challenge them. For others, it's going to be to comfort them. For some people, it's to come closer to them. And for others, believe it or not, it may be to remove yourself because the most loving thing may be to allow them to experience the consequences of their own decision. So it takes discernment to know what is best for this person who is in front of me right now. And a community of people who know you, your story, and that person can help you discern that. So as I say this, please know that it takes discernment. 
But as a church, there's no way around it. This can be uncomfortable. To commit to one another in, in our best times and our worst can be uncomfortable. And we see it in this passage as well. It would be uncomfortable to do what Jesus did. Right? I, uh, I made a commitment. I decided several years ago to no longer wear sandals in this city. And if you're wearing sandals, I'm not going to judge you. Because I was walking around and I finally got home, off the train, got home, and I could not believe how sticky my feet were, how grimy. It's like a couple of shades darker. Sorry, I know we're going to eat in a little bit. but And imagine Jesus. Now think about the first century. They're walking around and there's dirt and dust and grime and they're wearing sandals. And here is their Lord the one they would bow and worship, the one who would teach them. He's kneeling and washing their feet, washing the feet of everyone in that room who is going to desert him days from that time and deny ever knowing him. Think of the humility it requires. Here is our Lord knowing his time is coming to an end and he decides to wash their feet. It takes That's some of the discomfort. For some of you, it's the, the, the humbling aspect of it. There's a saying, you know whether or not you have a servant heart in the way that you respond when you're treated like one, right? And here is Jesus actually displaying a servant heart, washing their feet. It requires humility. That's the discomfort for some of us. For others of us, it's the way Peter responded in this passage. If you're not familiar with the story, as soon as Jesus got to Peter and started to wash his feet, he said, no, there is no way you're going to wash my feet, Lord. And it's not because he's just got, he's weirded out with people touching his feet. It's because this is Jesus. It should be the other way around. I should be washing your feet. Maybe there's some sense of shame that Jesus would actually be touching the dirt of his feet. This requires vulnerability. And so when we talk about loving one another and building a loving community, it requires humility and vulnerability. For some of you to be able to humble yourself and serve others, though they are in no position to reciprocate. Though there is no way they could repay you, and that's not even an expectation, but nevertheless to be able to humbly serve, that's the discomfort. For others of you, it's vulnerability. To let people in. To let people come close. To actually touch the dirt and to see it. And to let others serve you, that can be uncomfortable. Because maybe you know people in your life who's lorded it over you, right? You allowed them to come close and now they somehow have tried to weaponize it against you or leverage that over you and you don't want to let yourself get hurt again. It takes vulnerability to let people serve you. But the point here is that if we are to love one another and build this community, we must be willing to go through the discomfort that requires both humility and vulnerability. So which is it for you? What discomfort today, if you were going to help build this community, would you need to move through? The humility of having to serve others or the vulnerability of letting others serve you? I'm not sure if you read about this, but as a society, we're becoming less vulnerable. Several, a few weeks ago, and actually in May, there was a study that showed that Americans are are less connected to each other, even though we have the technology that makes it possible, we are less connected to others than ever before. Uh, this, the Survey Center of American Life conducted a poll in May that revealed that 15% of men and 10% of women say they have no close friends at all. At least for men in particular, that number was 3% in 1990. 
We're much more disconnected. We don't have significant close relationships. Think about that. 15% of the men you know and the 10% of the women you know don't have any close friends. The reality is that despite having more access, we don't have genuine relationships. And it could be because of a lack of humility. And it could be because of a lack of vulnerability, right? You don't want to let other people let, let other people in. But I'm reminded of the words of C.S. Lewis from his book, The Four Loves, that talks about, as it relates to vulnerability, how there's no way around it. To love it all is to be vulnerable. He writes, To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up, wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket, but in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. For to love is to be vulnerable. So yes, I get it. This can be scary. And as a community, what we can commit to when there's that insecurity of humbling yourself, are they going to take advantage of me? Or the vulnerability, like are they going to judge me if they know all that, all the dirt in my life? We as a community can create security for that because I believe it is the security of love that draws people out. I made a lot of mistakes in my life. And one of my, we got two kids. We have a, a five-year-old who's going to be six in October. We have a three-year-old son. It's going to be four in January. More information than you needed, but we've got kids, all right? And one of my fears in having kids was, oh, are they going to be as obnoxious and as foolish as I was? Are they going to make the mistakes that I've made in my life? And I, I realized that all I can do is hopefully create a home where they will feel safe telling me, telling me whatever it is that they're going through. But they won't be able to do that unless I create that kind of environment. So the, the best I could do is to tell my son and my daughter, Brielle and Liam, that no matter what you do, there is nothing you can do to make me love you any more than I do right now. There is nothing that you do that you can do to make me love you any less. And my hope is that the security of that love will draw them out of their hiding. That's why we start with Jesus. That's why we talk about Christ again and again and again because we believe that the security of God's love for us in Jesus, that there is nothing that we could do to separate us from His love is what draws us out of our hiding and makes us willing to be humble and vulnerable with each other. We can be vulnerable because Jesus, the one who has a moral position to judge us, does not. There's nobody here who has the moral position to judge you. Jesus is the only one who has a position to judge you, and he does not because of your trust in him. We can humbly serve others without the need of reciprocity because Jesus, our King, has served us. I, we don't serve one another nor to gain something from one another. We do it because everything that we need and more has been given in Jesus Christ. It is the security of God's love for us in Christ that enables us to move through the discomfort. And finally, the third thing. So we start with His love. We go through the discomfort. And now to build this loving community, we must invite others in. 
That's the last thing that's implied in this passage. Jesus says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples. So there are a few things to know there. One, what distinguishes us as the followers of Jesus is not how clever we are, how influential we are, how wealthy we are, or our status in society. What distinguishes us as the people of Jesus is the way that we love one another. So we could have all of those other things. We could have a building that can house everybody, right? We can do all of these different things and have these programs in our church. But if we don't love one another, we are not faithful to the calling. They, they, we won't have the one beautiful thing that distinguishes us as the people of God. But this also assumes something else. Because it says, by this... The world will know that you are my disciples at the way that you love one another. It assumes that the Christian community is welcoming other people in. That they're not reclusive. They're not loving people in a corner. Their acts of love and devotion are visible for others to see. Other people come close and are able to observe the way that Christians love one another. It assumes that there are people who are not Christians who are close enough to observe the way that we interact with each other. It means we're an outward-facing family. It means we are inviting people in who believe differently than us, who think differently than us, who live differently than us, who have different political ideologies than us, or whatever it might be, and they're able to experience a life and love within our community. We're not supposed to retreat from society. We're not supposed to hold people who disagree with us at an arm's length. We're not supposed to be so tribal and reclusive to the point that nobody can find a welcome among us. No, it means that we are close enough to others that they could see the way that we love one another and know that Jesus is our reason for doing so. By this, they will know that you are my disciples. That they are close enough to see the way that you love one another. And they will know that I am the reason for it. And we love one another in this way because this is the way that he has loved us. Not when we were at our best, but at our worst. Scarcely will a person die for another. Perhaps for a good person we may be willing to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet still Sinners, Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. So that describes the story of every person in this room that God loved you. I don't care if you did your devotions this morning. I don't care if you woke up and you prayed or you did a good deed this morning. God showed his love for you, not when you were on your, at your best performance, but when you were at your worst. That's when he chose to love you and display his, and, and show his generosity and his heart towards you. So that when we love one another in this way and forgive one another and see each other through, we can let the people close to us know that we do this because of Jesus and Jesus again. They will know that we are his disciples because we love one another the way that Jesus has loved us. But how will they know if we are not an inviting community? How will they know if we're not an outward-facing family? So remember, we're asking, how can we build this loving community? And I just want to ask you a few questions for you to think about as we close here right now. I want you to look at your table or look around you. Who is someone that needs to be at your table? Or who's someone who's not here that needs to be here? I don't mean a Sunday service or I mean like needs to experience the life and love of this community. Who is that? Who's coming to your mind right now? 
Help us build community by inviting them. What discomfort do they and the people in this community need you to embrace? What do people in this room need you to embrace? What discomfort do they need you to embrace? Is it the humility of serving others or the vulnerability of letting them serve you? Because we could talk about community all we want, but unless we're willing to move through the discomfort, it's not going to happen. So help us build community by moving towards the discomfort. And the last thing, how can you clearly show or how can we clear, continue to remind one another that Jesus is our reason for doing so? That our starting point is Him because of the way that He has loved us and served us by giving His life for us. Help us build community by starting with Jesus. We could start there right now too as Sarah comes forward. I pray for us. Lord, we thank you again for this morning you've given us to reflect upon you and your word. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, of being your children. Thank you for loving us in a way that no one has ever loved us before, God. We know no matter how great our desire is, your desire is greater. We know no matter how eager we are to experience you and your love, your welcoming heart is so much greater than all of our desires. And we ask you, Father, by the power of your Spirit, help us to start with Jesus right now. Would you stir our affections for Jesus as we meditate upon this song or as we sing along? Would you stir our hearts for you, Lord Jesus? Would you speak to us, Lord, about the discomfort we need to embrace? And would you bring to mind the people that you are calling us to invite in? We ask you all these things in Christ's name. Amen.